anyways, yeah, let's talk about um, 60. Studio yeah. 60s trip. <laughs> No good. We've seen it all before, so let's reload on a very special episode. Shows that suck and shows that load. Buckle up, buttercup, it's a bumpy road. Going deep inside the mainframe, secret code. Some of this shit stinks, some of it's gold. It's ABC, featuring the VIPs of SBT. Austin G and Dr. DB with our ATC money. Weird TV is their specialty. It might be all four, just one, two, or three. Cause they're old and kind of busy. So go get ready and take a peek. So set your phasers to download the rarity that we have bestowed. Special moments no one would have shown. Open your body holes cause you're gonna get told. Grab yourself a drink and let's unload. In a very special episode. Hello and welcome to a very special episode. The podcast which reviews very special episodes of TV, including from the loser in the great TV show set behind the scenes of a sketch comedy show, War of 2006. (laughs) I am your executive producer this week, Austin Gorton. Joining me is a funny lady just trying to make her way through life without a bunch of men telling her what to do. David, (laughs) how awkward. (laughs) David, you stole my line. I know, I know. I'm such an asshole. I'm just a man trying to, like, you know, appropriate what women have. Yeah, yeah, just men talking for 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and in addition to uh, trampling all over Carolyn's lines, also sucking the fun out of Christmas is... Oh, yeah, yeah that is David offer. <laughs> <laughs> and this week we are concluding our summer one-season wonder marathon by reviewing... Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, Season 1 and Only 1, Episode 11, (laughs) The Christmas Show, in which Matt is determined to close out the year with a Christmas-themed show, while Danny realizes he's in love with the pregnant Jordan, whether she likes it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And before we dive into things, I I feel... Yeah, men, right? That's our entire review for this episode. (laughs) Men, am I right? (laughs) Uh, this is, I think, our only one season wonder that we covered that actually finished its first season. <laughs> so this is the winner of the uh, marathon. Did Cop Rock not finish its season? I don't think that it did. I, that was so the only one that that was the only one that I wasn't a hundred percent sure on. I mm. looked up Cop Rock later for business reasons. And <laughs> <laughs> did you know that there's? Two hours of just isolated songs from what they aired. Ugh. That yeah, sounds two, like, like a nightmare. And, two and a half hours of cop rock. It is a nightmare. I guess there's one where a lady sexually harasses a man and they call it Bumpy Bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for that in particular. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. According to the Gruel Orphans, cop rock was... Can- Excuse me, was canceled by ABC after 11 episodes. Yeah, probably not a full season, huh? (laughs) So it was presumably intended to run for more than that, whereas Studio 60 at least was able to run out its string, although it never came back after its its season finale. 
Uh, so yeah, Studio Sixty is the is is the loser of the great uh, behind the scenes at a sketch comedy show war of two thousand six. It mm-hmm. debuted the same year as uh, Thirty Rock. Thirty Rock, mm-hmm. which I am watching again right now, and it's so good. Obviously, one is a is a thirty minute sitcom, and one's an hour long drama. And obviously, the thirty minute sitcom won that handily and went on to <sighs> run for like what six or seven seasons. One yeah. has some characters you can root for; another <laughs> does not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> one features women exercising some sort of agency and power; one does not. This is yeah. all very true. <laughs> Uh, so, David, I guess we'll start with you. What is your relationship with, um, I'll ask, Studio 60 as well as maybe 30 Rock and oh. also uh, just the works of Aaron Sorkin in general. Mm. Aaron Sorkin being Jeez, the, that's a lot. the showrunner and principal yeah. writer of Studio 60. Well, uh, 30 Rock, I've only seen a few episodes of. I mean, it's Boo. I've seen it's funny. I just haven't never really got around to like watching it in earnest, so. I don't have much to say, although I can definitively say it's better than Studio 60 on the <laughs> Which I guess, to, to be fair, I did see most of this season. I thought I saw the whole thing, but then you and I were talking in the green room. and uh, <laughs> You guys have a green room? Yeah. <laughs> the green room it's, it's, was the friends we made along the way. In there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, um, what was I going to say? Oh, and you mentioned some stuff at the end that I have really no recollection of. Not that I remember terrible, uh, terrible amount about this show, except it seeming not living up to expectations for me, I guess. Because in general, I've enjoyed Sorkin's work. Although when I say that and I think about it, it might just be Sports Night that I really liked. And I don't know. He did American President, didn't he? Or- he did, yes. Yeah, and I think I like that movie. And then, but I never watched West Wing, even though I probably would have liked it. I just at the time I probably didn't even know who Sorkin was when that started, and so I didn't watch it because of that. And then, uh, yeah, and then uh, he has a writing style that I can dig sometimes. Although these days I don't know if his stuff ages very well, and this show certainly doesn't look like it's aging well based on this episode. Uh, but he has a way of sucking me in with dialogue in some stuff, but not this, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carolyn, how about you? Studio 60, 30 Rock, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, boy. The whole schlamazel. Let's see. Um, Studio 60, I think I saw previews for it when it was coming out, and I'm like, this is boring. And <laughs> might have called it there. <laughs> yeah, you were wrong. <laughs> I also, though, watched previews at that time for 30 Rock, and I wasn't watching it either. I saw a couple. It was cute and fun. And it is something that I've come to appreciate more with rewatchings, and it's a show I like so much I multiple rewatch it. I think I'm on rewatch number three right about now, and yeah, we do it with lunch. I love it. It's like a master class in comedy. It's so perfect the whole way through, and they get the best performances out of their cameos. Let's see. I just watched one with Bon Jovi. And he's, like, sad to be the CBS musical ambassador. And then at the end he says, I hate this place. (laughs) It's really good to see him sad. (laughs) And then in the next episode, Liz Lemon keeps making out with a fern and calling it Bon Jovi because she scheduled dental surgery for Valentine's Day to avoid Uh, Valentine's Day. That wacky Liz Lemon. (laughs) Right? She's so great. 
guys, so good. And then, and then this show, I've never heard of, and I think I've also avoided all Aaron Sorkin, and I mean, yeah, he does have some snappy dialogue, but then he also just has some quote snappy quote dialogue, and it's just like, ah, I, I'm pretty sure I think he's too irritating to like him. <laughs> Ultimately, I don't know if he'd be fun to hang out with. But oh then. my god! Oh, I sure don't he think he'd be fun to hang out with at all. I think yeah. he'd be—he's way too self-serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. Back in two thousand six, I was all in on Studio sixty because I was a fan of of Sorkin uh, to various degrees and was like, "Hey, behind the scenes of a sketch comedy show—that's you know, it's it's like Sports Night, but." with Saturday Night Live instead of Sports Center. So sure, why not? Um so so I dove into this and mostly ignored 30 Rock. Uh, watched it to the very end despite it not being very good. Um and then 30 Rock has the distinction of being one of only maybe two or three TV shows in my adult life that I actually started watching not from the beginning. Because the the buzz on it was so good, and I figured, well, it's a comedy, I can just pick it up. So I think I came in in like the second or the third season. Um, Who was then, she dating at the time? Uh, I don't remember. Is it John Hamm? Uh, I saw this. I think I saw the stuff with John Hamm. Nice, nice. Yeah, and so then I stuck with Thirty Rock till the very till the very very end. Yeah. Um, and and thoroughly enjoyed it, and, and enjoyed it much more than uh, than Studio sixty. Um, I do think that Studio sixty has a pretty great pilot episode. Um, I would put it up there as one of the better TV pilots of all time because TV wow. pilots are usually clunky and hard to do, but stuff to enjoy even just rewatching it on its own. Um, which is something that Aaron Sorkin would manage to do with his next show, which was The Newsroom, which also mm-hmm. had a great pilot and less quality episodes following its pilot. Um, but uh, yeah, so Studio 60, not great, uh, but I am a big Aaron Sorkin fan. Um, Sports Night is probably one of my top five ta- favorite TV shows of all time. I have not, I did not watch West Wing live. I have been watching it via Netflix or Hulu. I forget where it's on right now. Um, I'm about halfway through Sorkin's run on that. Um, I did watch all of the newsroom, despite its mixed quality. And um, but yeah, I'm also be- a few good men, which he wrote the stage play for. And then the movie is probably my favorite non Star Wars movie. Um, American President is pretty great. Uh, Social Network is one of those movies that anytime I'm flipping around channels just kind of sucks me in and I can pick it up from anywhere just from the rhythm of the dialogue um but he is definitely a problematic writer he he has he has a style that i really like it's a very sort of musical quality to his dialogue um but he also has some ticks and uh, some of those ticks are not that bad like people like to make fun of his like repeated phrases or bits of dialogue that he returns to and that doesn't bother me too much, but he is not so great at writing women. Um, <laughs> no, and has, and has struggled with that uh, throughout his career, and that's certainly on display in this episode. Um, <laughs> and what's almost like 
What's so maddening about it is that he's not great at writing women, but seems to think he is. Mm-hmm. Like, he just completely misunderstands how some of this stuff comes across. And we'll talk a little bit about that in but this you episode. Know, but you know, Austin, women be eating food. <laughs> <laughs> That's just true about women. And it's really interesting because, like, there are female characters in his shows that are really good female characters. I mean, Dana on Sports Night is mm-hmm. a great character. Um CJ Craig on on the West Wing is is fantastic, but they almost succeed in spite of Sorkin, not because yeah. of him, um, which is a shame. And then the other his other tick that drives me nuts, um, especially as we move further and further through time, is just his complete and utter disdain for the Internet and the trappings <laughs> of the Internet. And it was like, okay, that was kind of cute in like 1999 when it was like, oh, look at those nerds who think they're important. But it's he hasn't quite caught up with the time yet. And the mm. fact that important things happen on the Internet, like there's a lot of stuff in West Wing about them just all sort of laughing at the Internet when there's the mainstream press still doing its thing. And you're kind of like, yeah, get over yourself, Sorkin. Yeah, he seems oh, to have yeah. a problem with like... I'm trying to think of the right. He might be a libertarian. Maybe that's what it is. Because, like, his hatred of the FCC, I guess, comes through in this episode, which is a weird thing to really get on your high horse about. And, well, I mean, we can get into it, but I'm not spoiler. sure how realistic of a portrayal it was of the FCC. But uh. Huge spoiler. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he, so his sort of uh, aversion to technology and yeah, um and whatnot is is not a a good he he got into that a lot with the newsroom as well and that was it was even more egregious there because it was set in a newsroom in like the 2010s and it's now you know he he basically had a character there that existed just for him to make fun of bloggers and <laughs> people who were like consuming their news through the internet first and foremost and and that was like that felt just dated and backwards thinking in 2010 let alone nowadays oh man i bet he hates podcasts i was just gonna say he probably does i know there's some there's some west wing podcasts that he's that he's appeared on and been a part of so he's not just like totally snobbish about it but i'm sure he does not like them in his writing style, he has very snappy dialogue, which some people may like. Some people, well, like I like, you like Austin. If people mm-hmm. don't like it, if you don't like his style, that's your choice. I don't yeah, think it's a good yeah. or bad. I will say there's like a little bit of element of like almost like sci-fi. And I guess I should explain that in that. Wow. Like there's suspension of disbelief because nobody ever actually talks the way anybody yeah. talks in a Sorkin. Yeah, his uh, dialogue is stylistic. It is yeah. not realistic or naturalistic. And like he is not attempting to replicate the way people mm-hmm. talk. Yes, he is. He is writing dialogue in a way that has rhythm and sort of a musicality to it, which is not how people talk, um, but it makes for a great effect, but it's not, not representative of how normal people talk at all of how anyone talks. Like yeah. there's nobody that talks yeah, the way yeah. Sorkin characters talk mm-hmm. in the real world, which is a shame because we should. And I know, I know <laughs> it's, it's like an idealistic version and maybe the yeah. shows really do seem to have idealism in there too of like, if we just let people be them without like oversight, all, all this altruisticness will come out. And- yeah, he does. 
like for all of his problems writing women and his sort of Luddite approach to technology, mm-hmm. he does seem to have like an inherent optimism to his writing mm-hmm. um, that's refreshing and particularly refreshing nowadays in our sort of post bad boy uh, anti-hero world yeah. that we live in where everyone just assumes that the natural state of all things is darkness and bleakness and whatnot. Anywho, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Awesome. Why are we doing a not Christmas episode? Well, <laughs> in, but it's not Christmas. It's Christmas in July. Good enough for the Hallmark <laughs> Channel. Good enough for us, right? That's true. That's true. Then you're going to have to do another Christmas episode later, probably. That's on you. Yeah, so I this I picked this particular episode. Basically, I was trying to decide between this episode and the pilot. Um, and I, di- I decided I didn't want to do the pilot partially because we did two pilots as part of our one season wonder already. Other episodes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cop rock and, and the pits were both their respective pilots. Right. Um, and also, like I said, I do genuinely enjoy parts of the studio 60 pilot. And as we've mentioned repeatedly, our shows are a lot less fun when we're talking about things we actually like and and think are good as opposed to things that don't work and we're savaging. Uh, so then I was trying to think of a different Studio 60 episode to do, and I basically settled on this one just on the grounds that it is a Christmas episode, and there's a little bit at the end with the New Orleans musicians that <laughs> so flirts weird. ever <clears throat> flirts ever so quickly with uh, kind of being a traditional, very special episode. Um, they put up a title card at the end directing you to another source of information for something that was discussed in the episode, and I feel wow. like that... Uh, that that makes it count as a very special episode. Yeah, it's true. A- anytime, anytime they do that, you, you even feel if they safe. dedicated about one percent of the show to that <laughs> topic, then <laughs> this is this is true. And it wasn't introduced until about like the forty five minute mark. But, it's such a we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoiler. Hmm. Uh so we get a we get a brief previously on which is meant to which. Uh, Inform us only about an important <laughs> business deal that is on the verge of happening. It doesn't catch you up on anything. I think this is the worst previously on I've ever seen of any show. Burn. <laughs> I don't know if that's. A, I don't know what that says at all. I mean, I guess it, unless you count like the uh, heroes slash Game of Thrones previously on model, which has introduced new information on the previously on. Which what? Is probably worse. No. That's about the only way you could beat this previously on for terribleness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, the, the, the only thing I noted from the previously on was that uh, now fallen casino magnet Steve Wynn was uh, was mentioned prominently as like one of the business partners in this oh, venture. Yeah. And then he gets brought up again later. And it just it was one of those sort of uh, of its of its time things that made me laugh because. And now that wouldn't be brought up. And like, <laughs> I'm, I'm still focused on this previously on that. <laughs> Not only did it focus on this business merger, but there was plenty of other things we could have been ca- caught up on and we needed to be caught up on. And that's not one of them. Like, it really didn't add anything to this right. episode to know this. Like, they mention it like once and you can kind of just understand that, oh, there's a business deal they're interested in. Like. They catch you up in the episode on this and other stuff you are not. I don't. 
That's yeah. true. Like, we don't know any of these characters' relationships yeah. until they're smooching. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Woo. Punching each other in the stomach. Oh, well, my see, God. For, for example, in, in the cold open, uh, Danny is, is hanging out with a pregnant Jordan mm-hmm. outside her OBGYN appointment. And if you didn't know any better, you would think like, oh, this is just like a well-meaning guy helping a female friend go to the to the doctor for the first time, you know, with her pregnancy and all of that. Mm-hmm. But if you've watched the show, you yeah. know that Jordan is Danny's boss mm-hmm. and that it's Ooh. kind of creepy the way he's latched on to, yeah. uh, to her and feels like he needs to like protect her and be with her through all of this despite the fact that she is his boss and theoretically has the power to be like get the fuck out of here or I'm gonna fire your ass yeah it feels like this is supposed to come across as like good natured and like maybe a little overprotective but just being a nice guy but it really comes off as like overbearing and just inserting yourself where you're not needed (laughs) Uh, which that's pretty much this entire relationship in a nutshell (laughs) and are you talking about when her boss is just a curtain away when she's getting inserted with an ultrasound stick yes and then the doctor and him are like talking over her about her like she's not even there at her at her own obgyn appointment the doctor and danny are like talking at each other Mm mm-hmm yeah, in true Sorkin fashion, she has to interrupt them and point out her vagina just to get any attention. Yeah, yeah pretty, almost literally. Like, yeah. That's kind yeah. of the way that the the scene goes down. Well, I get it's L.A., so I can't, I probably shouldn't think it too much, but the fact that the doctor recognized Danny as like, oh, you're the producer of yeah. Studio 60. Yeah. Like, that really happen? Well, if, if we want to go down that road, I'll also <laughs> point out that... Uh, a doctor wouldn't be doing what this doctor does. Yeah. Like, contrary to what TV would tell you, doctors don't administer mm. the ultrasounds that tell you that your baby is healthy and is a boy and or girl. Like, that's all done by a lab technician. Mm. A, a specifically trained ultrasound technician. Huh. Yeah. Or talking cool. with some other random guy about who the father may or may not be. and what. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And how they feel about him. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Yeah. The one the one line in here that I thought was kind of legitimate and not super creepy was uh, Danny said something about like, you know, not wanting to know who the father was. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, how do you know? Maybe he's a nice guy or something. Like that. And he says, if he was someone I wanted to know, he'd be here right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as as lines that are meant to sound sweet go, that's one of the better ones in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> arguably, right. the only one that actually works in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'd have more fun with the dialogue if it were better. I feel like there's other episodes where the witty where the witticisms are wittier, and yeah, it just wasn't firing on all cylinders tonight. Or is mm-hmm. it, Austin? <laughs> no, this. I mean. The the show is never great, but this is a particularly limp episode. I feel like from <laughs> particularly limp. That's mm. the name of my next album. Yeah, Just from so from what I recall of it, I feel like there are other episodes that where the dialogue pops a little bit more than it does here. Yeah, I did note that this was pretty bad dialogue for even for Sark. Like, yeah, 
It's yeah. like just, Sorkin style without any of the witter. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah, and and this yeah. the whole episode like there's just kind of a lot of stuff going on. It feels very much like a transitional episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So we get our opening, our brief little uh, little sting of the of the opening music and the title card because it's 2006 now, so we don't got time for theme songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt, who is played by uh, Matthew Perry. So, <laughs> right? This is another show where the actors couldn't remember their name. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, in, in fact, in my notes, I kept referring to him as Matt, and I'm like, wait, that is the character's name, right? I'm not just doing that thing where I write down the actor's name. <laughs> That's what the writers of the show did, too, Austin. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Matt is like an avatar for Aaron Sorkin, right? Is that... Uh, right? I feel like both him and Danny are like, yeah. Dual two heads of a of a Aaron Sorkin representation. But wasn't uh what's her name? Is it Heather or Yeah uh, Harriet. Harriet. And yes. she's like based off of someone Sorkin dated. Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah so the, the Matt Harriet relationship is Aaron Sorkin working through his issues with Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> But then the whole business with like Danny, Kristen Chenoweth, was she on Sex in the City? No, that was no. Kristen Davis. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> this is the thin blonde. She was on. She looks Broadway, like she looks like, like a skeleton. Oh, but with the Broadway hair. skeleton. I definitely yeah. know her, right? Yes. And I think, yeah. well, like, because he dated her, but then she went on the Seven Hundred Club, and he didn't like that, and then. I feel like that's oh. what caused the Which is exactly and... where the Matt Harriet relationship is at when this yeah. when the show begins. Although she does something else like Yeah, it's not even thinly veiled. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then Danny is very much a Sorkin avatar too in the way that he's a recovering coke addict who mm-hmm. lost his his job because of his addiction and is now trying to get back on the like back up to speed again. And isn't there also, like, a narrative throughout this uh, show that, like, people actually care about the behind the scenes of Studio 60? Like, it's newsworthy <laughs> of any sort. Well, yeah, see, like, that's the the one thing that you can, like, the one flaw that you can ding Sports Night for is that all of the characters, like, take it super, super serious. Their jobs, mm-hmm. that is. But yeah. at the end of the day, you're like, well, you're just reporting on sports. Yeah. And... You know, every once in a while, they'll they'll kind of they'll try to tackle that question and mm-hmm. make some sort of grand statement about like why sports are important and all this kind of stuff. But like you're at the end of the day, you're just like, yeah, you're you're still just talking about sports. Well, so then Sorkin does West Wing, and now you're like, okay, any character that's like this devoted to their job to the point where like all other aspects of their lives are put, you know, in second place. I, I get it. Like they're working at the West Wing. It's it's like yeah, you can't one of the most get important bigger. jobs you can, you know. Right, <laughs> you can right. Have. You can't get bigger than this in mm. terms of like the important things that can be done in the world. But then every show Sorkin does after that has the same devoted professionals who find a family amongst their coworkers thing. But once you've already done the biggest job of all in West Wing, everything else just <laughs> feels like yeah, it's probably not the end of the world if you took a fucking vacation. Yeah. And so you got Studio 60 where it's like, oh, everyone's like, we got to make the best show possible. And it's like, you're just making Saturday Night Live. It's not that <laughs> big a deal. But I feel like they have like 
media, like in universe media that like is covering all the comings and goings of the behind the scenes of Studio Sixty or something. Oh yeah, like, totally. They write like, it up, like they write it up in the TV log. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like, an extended arc with a reporter from like Vanity Fair or something oh who's doing God. like a behind the scenes on the yeah. the show and all that. And like, I I don't. I don't doubt that Saturday Night Live gets some coverage like that, at least, especially nowadays when there's just like so many news outlets, but it's totally ramped up to and it's so, in here. But no right? one cares. Like, you don't hear yeah. anything much about behind the scenes of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and yeah, it's so self-important compared to how 30 Rock handled it. Like, yeah. They would always make fun of their own show and have like a farting robot with diarrhea. <laughs> lemon on the toilet giving birth to a rubber chicken like they love shitting on their show 30 rocks approach was like saturday night live but it's completely and utterly dumb even dumber and studio (laughs) 60s approach was set was like the cultural institution elements of saturday night live Mm -hmm. like this is a big deal and it's been around forever and there's a history there and we need to respect that and not surprisingly, the 30 Rock take was a lot more entertaining. <laughs> and in 30 Rock, their show and show is the girly show. So it's all feminine coded, which mm-hmm. is why they had the star Jenna. And then it was funny when they added Tracy Morgan. But anyways, yeah, let's talk about um, 60. Yeah. 60 strip. <laughs> Matt shows up and it's Christmas. So- Matt shows yeah. up and it's Christmas and he's in the writer's room and he wants them to do a Christmas episode uh, for the last show of the year. And there was a, a mildly funny bit here where he kind of looks around and he's wondering how he's the only Jew in a comedy writer's room, <laughs> which is a little bit of uh, inside baseball that was still kind of funny. And that's yeah, the gist just of that scene. They're very <laughs> against doing a Christmas episode, and I'm not sure. Well, A, like Saturday Night Live always seems to do a Christmas episode, so I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. That tracks as an analogy. Right, it doesn't. And then they, they're like, well, we can't do a Christmas show where in L.A. And I feel like the implication is like Los Angeles doesn't celebrate Christmas, which I I guess I don't live there, so I can't speak on, but seems dubious to me at best. Well, you're, you're probably not wrong that that's a dubious assertion, but I do have to agree with Mark McKinney's character who points out that 85 in December doesn't feel like Christmas. Yeah, but uh, we're also from the North here. Austin. I feel like I'm saying we're like- doing it right and they're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying there's wide swaths of the country that probably have to deal with zero, zero snow on Christmas and probably 60s to 80s. And that just isn't right. I know, but they still celebrate Christmas, and I doubt they I question it like these people. I know. I love 60s, except Studio 60s. Yeah. That's how I feel that. <laughs> um, to answer your question, David, they don't want to do a Christmas show, because if they wanted to do a Christmas show, then there wouldn't be any conflict in this episode, <laughs> and we need a few more scenes of Matt trying to convince people to do a Christmas show to pad out the episode. <laughs> conflict that really adds nothing to this whole it thing. It really doesn't, but uh, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, so the next scene, we get our first walk and talk, which is, of course, a a technique that uh, Sorkin made famous on his shows in mm-hmm. which two characters walk in an extended take through a series of hallways in order to deliver rat-a-tat expositional dialogue. And Matt learns that an earthquake has affected the studio's access to the warehouse where it stores its prop snow. Which yeah, they make... said 
his Christmas episode difficult to pull off. Well, they said a bridge collapsed, right? Right. But they also said it was like a 4.1 on the Richter scale. Right. Which is something Minnesota has had. Right, right. Yeah, like, I don't believe not, I don't believe 4.1 is, is bridge collapsing. <laughs> which I just feel like, and this is the same with the Christmas thing, which I don't have much experience with, so maybe I'm wrong, but I'm like, doesn't Sorkin like, live in L.A.? Shouldn't he know this stuff? Or someone in his writing staff? Yeah, exactly. Or Matthew Perry, for that matter? I don't know. Matthew Perry blanked out all those years on Friends. He's just, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. getting his memories back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, Matthew Perry might just not remember what earthquakes are. Right? But it is nice to see him alive after he died from drunk driving. Yeah, yeah. That is true. That is true. Yeah, that's right. This is our our second Matthew Perry appearance. And not Friends, oddly enough. Yeah, without mm-hmm. doing Friends. <laughs> uh, so Matt and Cal, who is the stage manager played played by Timothy Busfield... Uh, who was also on West Wing and 30-something and tried to kill Kevin Costner's daughter in Field of Dreams. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. What? Um, well, that was sad. <laughs> yeah. Austin's overstating what happened in that scene, but okay. <laughs> it's still a touching scene that kind of gets me. I know. Man, I the doctor has to cross the line. He has to cross the line to save the daughter because Timothy Busfield's a jerk. Uh, anyway, uh, Matt and Cal uh, meet with Danny, and Danny tells them that Jordan is pregnant, which kind of seems like maybe not his place to yeah. share. But... Isn't that overstepping just slightly? I think it's against HIPAA. Like, <laughs> <laughs> medical appointment, and then HR should also, yeah. I don't know, maybe be notified, especially by the time he, like, well, we'll I mean, get there. I don't oh, know wow. how it goes because it's, he's it's his boss, not like, his subordinate. Oh, yeah. I mean, still, well, I, it's I don't very know. inappropriate, and frankly, it still <laughs> yeah. could be against HIPAA. You might be right. I don't know how it works. Yeah, in the, pretty sure HIPAA does not let a lot of shit fly no more. <laughs> yeah, clearly, what we're going for is like the parallel structure where he tells them that Jordan's pregnant, and then in the next scene. Jordan goes to her boss's office to tell him that she's pregnant, but it still seems like a pretty, pretty dubious thing for him to be thrown around. Uh, But in that next scene, Jordan goes into Stephen Weber's office, TV's Stephen Weber uh, of Wings fame. Mm -hmm. And uh, Stephen Weber proceeds to tell Jordan about how the other night they were doing a... uh, a news thing because that's how network TV works and that they were doing a live story from Afghanistan and a soldier dropped an F bomb while being literally bombed during the segment. And so that went out on the air and now the FCC wants to find the shit out of him. I, I guess I don't know everything. I don't buy this at all. I'll put it that way. Never having dealt with the FCC myself, I do not see them finding somebody over this. Given the circumstances? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I've watched plenty of sports and you hear stuff (laughs) over, like, like, caught on camera from either players or crowd members or coaches or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And I doubt anyone gets fined over that. And then they tried to come up with this excuse, and I don't know if it's here or later, where because it was from a soldier and they're supposed to be respected or something, that that makes this worse, which doesn't seem like logic that actually the FCC would care. I don't know. This, none of this 
rings true to me that the FCC would let this fly just because a soldier said that when a bomb went overhead on a live segment. I don't believe. Yeah, I think it's 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 the circumstance. I could totally see the FCC dropping fines because somebody dropped an F-bomb on yes. TV. Yes. Um, it's just the given the circumstances, it seems ridiculous that they wouldn't be like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was not scripted. It was not planned. It was a normal reaction to the circumstances. And Now, on the flip side, uh, one of the suggestions of how to avoid a fine is they could go to a, like a five second delay on the news. Yeah. And they immediately reject that because they're the news and they have integrity. And I'm very confused at how a five second delay uh, hurts their integrity as a news organization. Didn't uh, you hear the man yell? He's yelling very loudly. <laughs> He's very about passionate about that point. He was on wings, David. <laughs> I guess the argument is that if you're on a tape delay, that means that you would not air something if it happened and it was against like FCC regulations. And so you're now, lo- you're now no longer broadcasting the quote unquote truth. I guess. Although Maybe I'm trying the, to, I mean, that's the, the best I, I would, can come up with. The way I assume the five second delay would be is simply that you bleep it. And so it's not like you're not airing it. It's just, instead of hearing the word you'd hear bleep. And then I don't know, you know, yeah, I yeah. feel like that's not a hard hit to the integrity of, right. It's, it's, it's not the worst hill to die on. <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. in this scenario. You guys, what if we got fined for all the F words that we have said? <laughs> We'd be in fucking trouble. Uh, <laughs> at one point here, I think Jordan, she tells Steven Weber that she's pregnant and he's like, whatever. There's also uh, a very Sorkin X, esque part of this scene where the boss guy wing mr wings uh he (laughs) (laughs) he in the course of the dialogue just goes on a long diatribe about the fcc and their function and the reason that they have to air the news is because they're borrowing the airwaves from the government and stuff yeah just to like inform the audience even though like i'm sure everyone in the room knows that already well, or doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like, I can guarantee you that when my wife and I were watching this episode, she didn't know that's how TV worked. No. But but I I'm don't not... think it's integral to her understanding. No, of, I'm saying like, the characters in the room already know this information. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Jordan already knows how network yeah, TV works. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit like the the Sorkinism where he co- where he has characters like introduce themselves by rattling off their resumes. <laughs> At one point, Jordan also tells tells Mister Wings that uh, he should <laughs> that he should lawyer up and fight the FCC, and mm-hmm. lawyer up is is a mild Sorkinism that pops oh, up yeah. in a lot of his uh, his uh, his stuff. He's probably why people started saying it in the nineties. Could be. And it just, it also makes me think of how easily the FCC rolls over in the real life. Like, they, they really want yeah. to take on any big dogs anyways. Right. Which is ultimately where this kind of ends up going. But uh, next scene, Matt is trying to force some Christmas spirit on his assistant because this show is apparently all about <laughs> men trying to make women feel the way they want, the men want them to feel. Uh, and then he meets with Simon and Tom, who are two of the stars of the show within the show. And he tries to loop them into the whole Christmas thing. And they pretty much start talking about all the ways that Christmas is wrong. 
Uh, and like everyone is very shocked at all these facts that are. Oh, I have some things to say about that, David. When we get there, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Tom's like, "Oh, there was no star in the sky. It was mm. just a comet." And Simon, of course, played by D.L. Hughley, uh, points out the fact that, of course, Jesus was not a white guy, because mm-hmm. um, that's just that's- not how geography works. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty important. Yeah, all those yeah. white guys born in the Middle East and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I noted in this scene that hasn't aged particularly well is uh, Matt having like a big picture of Woody Allen on one of the walls in his <laughs> office. And then, I, of course, I realized like, well, that wasn't great in 2006 either. Yeah, I know. Right, right. Everyone knew a lot and just didn't care. <laughs> That's so messed up. I was like, that Woody Allen picture hasn't aged great. Wait, no, it was never good. <laughs> Uh, next scene, Harriet, who is the uh, female member of the of the three actors who are the stars of the show within the show. Uh, she is having lunch with a gentleman named Luke Scott. He is offering her a part in a movie that he's directing about the Rolling Stones and wants her to play a meaty, dramatic role despite her her reputation as a comedic actress and this is the uh this is the first appearance in the episode of sarah paulson who plays harriet and uh she is mrs the dean from saved by the bell the college years what oh man yeah she's i forgot she was in that she's in a lot of good really good stuff she's in deadwood toward the end She's an American Horror Story. Yeah, she's in a bunch of the those. Ryan Murphy American so, Horror wait, Story who stuff. Who is Mrs. the Dean? Right. Her- yeah. Harriet is Mrs. the Dean from Saved by the Bell, the yeah, college years. Yeah, but who is Mrs. the Dean? Like, what did she <laughs> what do? What were college years? Yeah. <laughs> she. So, Sarah Paulson is married to... Oh, uh, okay. You're saying she never actually appeared on Saved by the Bell, the... Correct, correct, yes, yeah. Yes. Okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand now. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now that we thoroughly explained my joke and made it as funny as possible. <laughs> I just yeah. didn't get I just didn't understand that. <laughs> I thought there's a character we had named like who was married to the dean or something. <laughs> yeah. She just showed up in an elevator. Although I think I mean, yeah, they wouldn't have gone with lesbian relationships then, but then I think I was thinking of the Chancellor that it doesn't matter. We don't have to go yeah, back to the college. They only <laughs> did lesbian relationships in Miss Bliss. That's the Because was it the Chancellor who had the horny daughter yes it was the <laughs> chancellor who had the horny daughter all right, all right. <laughs> um also this director tells harriet that uh if she does this part it'll like guarantee her a uh, oscar nomination mm. or something he's pretty cocky about that yeah but then you once you understand the oscar nomination process you're like hey you might have a point yeah yeah Next scene, the writers are pitching Christmas ideas to Simon and Tom, um, but the the two guys are basically just competing for the attention of Lucy, one of the writers in the writer's room. Which is also and not a great thing that's happening. But No, because she's like, gives him a story idea, like, oh, that's great. Well, it was his idea. Oh, well, let me tell you why it was terrible. And, <laughs> and Lucy is another person whose name is their character's name. Oh, that's right, because she's played actress, by Lucy Davis. Right, who I know from the BBC The Office. Ah, uh, yes, she was on BBC's The Office. Right. Um, I know her from Shaun of the Dead. Right. Um, and also she was in Wonder Woman. That's it. She just showed up there. Yep. 
So yeah, this whole show is like pretty well casted. <laughs> yeah, it's got a pretty deep bench of like as you go along, there's a lot of people that show up where you're like, oh, it's so and so or it's that person and Right. Yeah. Uh yeah, so they pitch some ideas and it basically just turns into more like, Did you know Christmas is wrong? <laughs> Did you know that we don't actually have much of an idea what happened uh, two thousand <laughs> years ago and maybe some stuff could have been lost over in translation? Right. Don't fuck Christmas. Uh, so then Cal comes in, and apparently their solution for not being able to get around the only bridge that leads to their warehouse <laughs> is to order a shit ton of coconuts with which to make snow. And rather than order a shit ton of like pre-shredded coconut, which is yeah. a thing that exists, they order like crates of whole coconuts. Everyone's starting to seem incompetent in this show. <laughs> It's so wacky. Like, but the writers aren't doing yeah. a whole lot, and then this prop guy doesn't seem to have his shit together, because then he, like, <laughs> tries to open the coconut by slamming against the table, and I don't know who built that table, but that's one flimsy table. Yeah, the table goes down like a house of cards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they take it so seriously, but it's so wacky, and that's yeah. the best they can do for fake snow. Like, okay, forget what you're supposed to do these days especially, but it's not, it's not coconuts. And how can you have a drama about a comedy? And where's the comedy? I guess the drama's there. <laughs> <laughs> you guess something's yes. there because the yeah. words were on the screen. So, or words are we're spoken. definitely on screen. <laughs> there are yeah. words coming out of characters' mouths. Yeah. <laughs> Big um, one of one of the criticisms that was frequently leveled at this show was that. Matt and Danny were supposed to be these like wonderkind creators. Like yeah. Matt, yeah. Matt in particular, as like the head writer, was supposed to be like this genius comedic writer. Mm -hmm. But anytime you'd see any snippet of the show itself, like the show within the show, it just wasn't that funny. Well, that um, <laughs> and one of the reasons they brought Mark McKinnon, who's playing a writer in the writers' room. But also they brought him in to be a writer because he was on Saturday Night Live and wrote for Saturday Night Live. And so they wanted him to like write sketches for the show within a show. And it just never really panned out. Well, it kind of reminds me of the idea that if you're like writing a book, it's fine to have a character who's the world's greatest singer. But you're playing with fire if they're the world's greatest poet. Right. Because right. then you actually have to show your work and that you, you're writing some checks that your butt's going to have to cash at that point. And <laughs> right. That's what right. the show does when they're like, we're going to bring the greatest comedy writers onto this show. And you're like, well, now you're going to have to have like great comedy segments. And then I remember in the show, there was one that was all centered around crazy Christians. Yeah. Which was that's supposed the... to be like a hilarious but perhaps too controversial skit that they didn't were right that, that, that was the sketch that got matt and danny kicked off the show yeah. way back when or whatever oh shit. then they finally showed it and then you're like yeah that wasn't anything <laughs> that was neither funny nor yeah like outrageous mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah well anyway i bring all of that up just to say that like <laughs> the 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 convention goes that this is a show about a funny show where the show's not that funny but i also think it's just like the writers aren't that funny. No one is good at what they're supposed yeah, to be exactly. doing. <laughs> right. Yep. Like it's not just the writers. But anyway, 
Uh, we get a scene with Matt and Danny. They're dancing around uh, Danny's burgeoning feelings for his boss. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Matt goes out in the hall and him and Harriet do their creepy will they won't they thing. Um, well, and she tells him about the part. Yeah, he tells him about the part. <laughs> then he's very excited about who she's playing. And he's like, oh, you're perfect for that role. You're this and that. This is a big deal. And I'm like, you don't know the size of the part in the movie. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't matter who the real life character was. It matters what's written on the page, right? Like, because you can mm. write out anybody in any sort of biopic you want. And- right. Like, you could do a Beatles movie that doesn't do anything at all with Yoko Ono. Yes. <laughs> like, there's a Beatles movie that you could do in which Yoko Ono would be a very pivotal character with a mm-hmm. meaty role but you could also do a Beatles movie in which she's not in it at all yes so for him to assume that it's a big part because she's gonna play Anita Palenberg is that someone I should know because yeah. I guess I'm not well versed on my stones history yeah the one guy mentions the album that she was about or yeah. whatever uh, he says she made paint it black which would be the oh. song but I don't know. I and I'm yeah. not like any Stones historian either. I dig some right. of their songs, but I don't know how big a deal she is. And like may- maybe this- there isn't a way that you could do a Rolling Stones movie without her being a big part of it. I don't know. This really felt like Sorkin just learned of her like a week before and kind of <laughs> got into her for a few like, yeah. days and just like she, needed like everybody else a, to know about her. Like, did you know Page a Day kind of a thing? Yeah, exactly. He, like looked her up and was like, oh, uh, this is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd say he looked her up by Wikipedia, but Aaron Sorkin wouldn't do that. <laughs> in an encyclopedia. He yeah. went to the library and right. looked her up on microfiche. Yes, the way all good-hearted intellectuals would. Um, so after first being super supportive, Matt then becomes a jerk about it, saying that uh, she was only yeah. offered the part so that Luke could marry her and sleep with other women. Yeah, that's quite the U-turn he does there, too. Just just for no reason. It's just like someone flipped a switch that we didn't see, and he's like, oh, I gotta be a dick now. And then he starts being a dick, and I don't know. And that's pretty much throughout the whole series. That's their relationship in a nutshell, where they're trying to do this will-they-won't-they they thing. Like, you know, they have a past together. Are they gonna get back together? And it's all undercut by the fact that you never really get a sense of what Harriet sees in Matt. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see why he would be into her, but you really don't get why she ever gives him the time of day. Oh, I have an idea, Austin. Rock hard abs. Oh, it could be those rock hard abs. That bothered me. (laughs) And that, of course, Sorkin's just writing the guy to have rock hard abs and this weak woman's punches will do nothing towards this He-Man, you know? And I mean, who doesn't think that punching Matthew Perry, this Matthew Perry, would be soft and nice? Yeah, exactly. We all want to. <laughs> and like, I think even if you do have rock hard abs, I think once you get a full throated punch in there, it's probably still gonna hurt, you know? <laughs> like, unless well, she's like exceptionally weak, you know? But David, yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. He's being punched by this frail little girl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what? How much? How much oomph could she really be putting behind those punches? Yeah. There's this character in 30 Rock who has hollow bird bones. She's always <laughs> pulling shit like this. Uh, yeah. Yep. So then we get a brief scene where, like, Danny goes over to talk to Jordan and is creepily over-informed about her background. And, and I think it's supposed to be cute, but it's not. 
Which scene? Which one is this? Like he comes over and because because Matt mentions that you know oh what's Jordan gonna do about the upfronts because she's her due date is apparently oh, right yeah. when when they'd have the the May mm-hmm. upfronts and Danny's like oh I don't know I hadn't really thought about it and the idea is like Matt just sort of mentioned it offhand but now mm-hmm. Danny is like super concerned about this because he's falling in love with her. And uh, so he goes over to ask her what she's going to do about it. And she's like, whatever, it's May. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but along the way, he's points she, out some stuff about like where she went to school and where she grew up. And Oh, yeah. Very stalkerish stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. she doesn't react to it at all, but she should probably be like filing a restraining order. Mm-hmm. Her reaction is to eat a sandwich, which is very Liz Lemon. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, she's she, now because she is a pregnant woman on TV. Yes, uh, she is now being shown stuffing her face every time she's on screen. Pregnant um, women be eating, am I right? Which, guys? which is not, which is not a Sorkinism. That's a TVism. <laughs> That's that's every goddamn TV show. So we're back on the stage. Matt is touring, uh, observing the preparations for Christmas. We see that there's like a team of stagehands or something whose job is to break open coconuts and <laughs> shave it out so that they can have their snow, which again just seems like the worst way to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Comedy. We we do get a mildly funny bit where the the like Santa plastic dummy that they have for the show yeah. is like doing a, a see Kyle motion with his hand um which is funny just because once when when Matt points it out and then Cal turns her eyes like well now that you've pointed it out it's all I can see <laughs> yeah it did look like I mean, a hail Hitler I'll admit that it did I don't imagine they could have done it in a straight way because like <laughs> Everybody knows what the Nazi salute is. In a way, you open your palm and you bend your arm. Like it was like a cheap joke because they wanted to do a a Hitler Santa, which is their own business. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then he touches. He continues moving on. Gets into the into the writers' room uh, where there is a full on breakdown. Uh, triggered by their research into facts about Christmas. And this is the point where I wrote down, none of these revelations about Christmas are all that revelatory. Exactly. (laughs) Like, oh, did you know that the calendar Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th? Mm. Like, yeah, no shit. Or that the (laughs) Santa Claus we know was just created basically by Coca-Cola. Yeah. Or the wise men only rode the camel eight miles. (laughs) And that the Bible doesn't specify that there's three of them. Well, and it's also weird, like, when you do a Christmas special, especially, like, a Saturday Night Live Christmas special or these two, they're generally non-denominational and rarely actually get into yeah, the, the, the Bible parts of Christmas. Right. It's just about Santa and giving presents and stuff, and I'm like... yeah. I'm like, I don't think any of these revelations affect your comedy writing about this episode of... Right. Studio As we TV. see later with the one sketch that we get out of this show, none of this has no bearing on any of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Wings is meeting with some lawyers about the whole <laughs> F-bomb thing, and Jordan pushes her way into the meeting and tries to eat a Danish because she'd be pregnant, yo. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's they mostly- They also commented on it, <laughs> which seems like a shitty thing to do. 
commented you sound on professional. it. Professional. It interrupted yeah. the meeting. Just yeah. like, are you eating food, you fat bitch? <laughs> I'm like, why do you have the food out there if people aren't allowed to like well, right, grab yeah, something like, while? <laughs> it's not like she's pulling a bag of candy out of her purse in the yeah. middle of a of mm-hmm. a meeting or uh, a movie or something. It's like. There's a table with pastries on it. She picked one up and ate it. Uh, but pulling a bag of candy out of your purse in a movie is awesome. <laughs> cool thing to do. Yeah, I guess it'd be more like if it was in during like a company meeting. Then <laughs> like, she's like unwrapping like, a hard candy. Yeah, or exactly. Still sounds pretty cool, David. <laughs> I, I, I would not object. I'm just saying, I it'd be more realistic if other people objected or feel a little less shitty. I guess. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the or big like, takeaway from this scene, eating, or like, what if she was eating like weird, huge, like smoked oysters or something? Yeah, everybody hated it. Dirty, or like smoked fish, something like really smelly. Like she has like, like a like a wood plank with like a whole salmon <laughs> yeah, on it. And yeah, she's eating of, like, smoked that sounds salmon. pretty good right now. <laughs> uh, so the big takeaway from this scene is basically that. Uh, one of the things that the FCC could do if they fight back is scuttle that big deal that Ed Asner was talking mm. about in the previously on. That was the only thing of importance to to tell us about before the episode started. Yeah, which we just got caught up on right there anyway. Right now, yeah, we, which told us everything we needed to know yeah, from that previously. There's a big deal, and the FCC could stop it if they wanted. Yep, to. got it. Yeah. <laughs> Back at the stage, uh, some guy who I guess we're supposed to know, but I, I don't know who he is, yeah, is watching. Either. He's watching the band. Now Bob Eubanks, isn't he? Or not Bob Eubanks. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. I know who Bob Kevin. Eubanks is. He yeah. tries to sell insurance. <laughs> Kevin Eubanks. Yeah, he's yeah, on yeah. the Tonight Show. I didn't yes. know who he was until he said his name later, even yeah. though I've seen Jay Leno's The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Okay. So he's like the band leader on the Tonight yes. Show or something. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's a little little corporate synergy for you since yeah. he's on, on NBC. Uh, so and since Leno isn't as cool as Letterman, just like this isn't as good as Thirty Rock. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's a good. Uh, that's a good analogy for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> right. Right. He's no Paul Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Kevin Eubanks is watching the band rehearse, uh, on account of the talent of the guy who is filling in for the show's regular trumpeter and Danny, who's, uh, I guess a connoisseur of, of <laughs> trumpeting, uh, recognizes his talent and tries to get him a regular job. But the, this guy kind of demurs and it seems like it's like a big deal when he says that he's from new Orleans. And this yeah. is this is now we're about three quarters of the way through the episode, or we're we're setting up our our brief foray into very specialism. I feel like part of the problem with this episode, I mean, this whole show, I don't know, is not great. So this episode isn't all, but it's such a scattered shot episode of just random stuff happening. That it is. It really. Like, I feel like other episodes set. were more focused than yeah. This. That's how I remember where this one, it's just like, uh, we, we need, they felt like they kept needing to fill time. So they just added something else. So they, let's add a Hitler Santa to kill two minutes of time. And then let's right. add, then right. let's add 10 minutes of New Orleans musicians. Cause that's what yeah. we, yeah. So back in the writer's room, everyone is continuing to talk about Christmas. Like they're me in 10th grade, <laughs> um, which is just like, there's part of me that's also like you're intelligent adults and you, this is the first time you're encountering these wacky notions yeah. that there's more myth than fact mm-hmm. built into our Christmas traditions. 
Um, I, I figured that out when I was like 15. Mm-hmm. Anywho, uh, Danny pulls Matt out to explain to him and I uh, thankfully to us what what's going on with these these musicians yeah. from New Orleans. And it turns out that uh, the local L.A. musicians are calling in sick to their gigs this week in order to give uh, a handful of displaced New Orleans musicians a chance to fill in on their shows, thereby earning them a union card and some money that they can use for Christmas presents or whatnot. Um, As this show taking place in, in 06 is... Not long after the devastation wrought by Hurricane Katrina in uh, in New Orleans, and so Danny has a has an idea, a mysterious idea for the show, and then Matt teases Danny about Jordan, and it's kind of creepy still. Well, they have like a mysterious idea that I I mean they pay it off, but it's not like anything revelatory. It's basically what anyone would come up with. Right, right. yeah, no, it's not like a cute joke or something clever. It's yeah. just they're gonna play horn music yeah. later. They're like, How about Spoiler. we feature the musicians on our show and name them? And you're like, Yeah, that's pretty much what I would have come up with too. Yeah, which right. which once again we're supposed to treat like, Oh, these guys are genius creative mm-hmm. types and they just <laughs> Did the most obvious thing imaginable. Which, yeah, which isn't terrible, except that they try to hide what they're going to do. And then, yeah, there's the payoff isn't that great. If he would have just said, maybe we should feature him on the show. And they're like, yeah, let's figure it out and left. I mean, I guess it's not as much of a cliffhanger, but at least you're not <laughs> expecting anything. Right, right. Uh, so the next scene, we get uh, we get Ed Asner, Lou mm. Grant himself, who is the... I think he's like the owner of the he's like the super high muckety muck like he's Mr. Wings's boss and he owns not just like the network but like the whole company so he'd be like I don't know the guy that owns Time Warner now yeah and 30 Rock he's Geiss yes yeah torn yeah yeah because Mr. Wings is basically Alec Baldwin Mm -hmm. right yeah uh, so he's on hand for the Christmas show, and then Luke, that director guy, goes backstage to uh, visit Harriet, and she's like, oh, Matt thinks that you just gave me this job because you want to date me, and he's like, well, I do want to date you. That's not why I gave you the job, but I do want to date you. And uh, that also seems problematic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel great. All this is is co-workers dating. <laughs> right? Like, crossing all kinds of lines. Uh, there's a bit in here where they're rehearsing and we get a really painful Steve Wynn joke about yeah. punching people. So this was supposed to be like weekend it. update, right? Yeah. So Harriet and Simon do like this show's version of weekend update. And so they're like rehearsing the jokes that they're going to do that night. Were there jokes? Yeah. I don't know. Something about he's suffering from Mr. Magoo syndrome. And I'm like, this, this has gone off the rails in ways. Well, I it's it's like six and a half minutes long. Yeah, it takes forever yeah. to get there. No yeah. David S. Pumpkins, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's for damn sure. This show could use David S. All shows could use David S. Pumpkins. Uh, but again, it made me laugh because we got another like Steve Wynn reference that is not <laughs> not dated well. Mm-hmm. So then we see we see our our pretty much our only bit of the show itself, uh, the show within the show in this episode, uh, which is a to catch a predator parody with Santa. <laughs> to be fair, I've, that one kind of landed for me. 
Well, it's 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 on par with what you'd see on Saturday Night Live, and yeah. it's mildly humorous. I'm not sure what their breakdown about Christmas, <laughs> yeah, um, how that either led to or made it difficult to get to this premise. <laughs> yeah. But but here we are, and it, is, it mostly works. To be fair, there's no payoff to their uh, war on Christmas or whatever it was that was happening in the writers' room because if this is it, it wasn't. I. Just seemed like a scene that happens in any uh, Saturday Night Live Christmas special. So, yeah, yeah, it was mildly so, amusing, but as you said, it has nothing to do with what they're doing in the writers' yeah. room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then Matt says that he needs to give Harriet a note during the show, just before she goes on to do her her weekend update esque thing, mm. uh, and just kisses her because we yeah. just haven't crossed enough lines yet this episode. <laughs> um, not only just a kiss, he, like, lures her away, which is whatever, fine, they want to have a private conversation, but he, like, drags her by the elbow, then he, like, pins her up against the wall by her shoulders, and then he kisses her. It's like... But I don't know if you noticed, kiss. Carolyn, but she liked yeah. it. Yeah. She did, because... Because um, in TV, squashed. they always like it. Right, 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 because his rock-hard abs are so soothing. <laughs> right, right. And, of course, he's only doing it because of that other guy, right, which is yeah, this grosser. Is, right, this, right, that just adds another level of grossness to it where it's, yeah, it's like he's not even doing it to, like, be romantic. He's just doing it to play head games with the other guy. Yeah, or, or to, like, claim ownership or something. Right, right. He's ba- Yeah, he's basically just, like, peeing on her <laughs> to mark her as his. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty gross. Awesome. Uh, so then the next scene, Mr. Wings uh, sort of sheepishly tells Lou Grant about the F-bomb situation, uh, tells him that he's going to have to resign because it's the only way to both protect the big Macau deal, but also protect Mr. Wings's integrity. And Lou Grant is basically like the FCC can go F bomb themselves. I'm going to fight them. And it's not that big a deal. This is a very yeah. Sorkin scene too. Of yes. Somebody standing up for their, uh, like against pressure to do what's right for their ethics of the company that they're working for or whatever, or they're in charge right. of. And again, like it's, it's a trope, but I kind of like it. Yeah, I don't I it's becoming increasingly rare where you have like a story that involves people standing up for what they believe in and like following their own personal code of ethics. It would just land better if it wasn't like the story of the big bad FCC, which I'm just not seeing. Well, right. If if the if the conflict wasn't quite so out of proportion. and Yeah. And fabricated. If, if the villain was more villainous in my eyes, where I'm like, I don't know, yeah. I've never had much. I mean, the FCC does some stupid stuff, but I guess all government agencies do, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't find them particularly heinous in any way. Well, everything in the current administration, but that's, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other Sorkin trope on display here uh, is the turning a antagonistic boss figure into a like for yeah. ally mm. and he's basically already done that on this show with mr wings because oh, yeah. when, it, when it first started mr wings was very like opposed to the hiring of matt and danny and was very hands-on and he was the one that kind of got them fired back in the day in the first place but then as the show's gone on we've seen that he has you know sort of his own code of ethics like we see here in this episode um and is more willing to go to bat for them 
Um, and now he's flipping it around and doing it again with Lou Grant, where in earlier episodes he had just sort of been this like hard ass rich guy boss. And now we're seeing that no, he has principles mm. too and is willing to fight the good fight. And it, it, Sorkin does this a lot, but it's another one that I kind of like. <laughs> Yay, all the bosses are friends with yeah. each other now. You kind of see it in Sports Night when in season two with William H. Macy's character where he's the the guy that's going to come in and shake things up and fire everybody. But then it turns out that he just wants to make the show better and have it succeed and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And it happens like seven times in the newsroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> just going up and up and up until... Like, yeah, all, I mean, almost... God like, is like... You know what? I'm on your side, too. It happens like three times in the first episode in the pilot. Uh, <laughs> so then Simon comes out and introduces the, quote, city of New Orleans. And then we see like, like a half dozen of the displaced musicians come out and they play Oh Holy Night in front of images from New Orleans, presumably. That gets Danny nice and horny, though. It does get to so for, so we get Matt and we get Matt and, Ho- and Harriet making uh, moony eyes at each other, despite <laughs> the fact that he was just playing head games with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, Danny just gets all hot and bothered, and <laughs> he runs. Nothing, <laughs> nothing like a uh, song about Jesus played by musicians whose homes were ravaged by a hurricane mm-hmm. to get the old. Uh, libido up and running. Yeah, when he heard Holy Night, he was thinking <laughs> in terms of holes. Yeah. <laughs> at night. Like, speaking of holes. <laughs> so he rushes out and uh, pulls Jordan out of the little viewing party where they're all watching the show and tells her that he is falling in love with her, whether she likes it or not, and quote, Uh-oh. I'm coming for you, Jordan. I oh, No, boy. he said... If you want to run, you better get a good head start because I'm coming for you. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> Is that, and it, I think that's supposed to be romantic, right? Isn't it's that? 100% supposed to be romantic. <laughs> it just comes off as creepy and stalkerish and entitled and I don't know what else I mean. Yeah, so this is a line that, like, I'm pretty sure gets repeated in a shit ton of the previous Leons. Like, it becomes the shorthand for (laughs) Danny is pining after Jordan and is vigorously pursuing her. So they just cut to this, like, I'm coming for you, Jordan line. And it's 100% play like it's supposed to be a grand romantic gesture. And... It's it's like in five words, it represents everything wrong with their entire storyline mm-hmm. and also everything wrong about the way Sorkin writes romantic relationships, because <laughs> he thinks that is romantic. He thinks mm-hmm. that this is like a, a great thing that he's declaring here. And it's just terror. It's wrong. And it's made even worse <laughs> that she's like pregnant and single and thus, you know, and a little few, probably feeling a little more vulnerable or uncertain about it. Yeah. Hormones she's are raging. Little, yeah. <laughs> she's a little slow when she's pregnant. She can't run away from him. <laughs> That's also her true. She needs an even bigger head down. start, you know? Right. Right. right? She's going to pin her down at the water cooler like a tiger. Yeah. And she's constantly eating, so she can't get her arms going. So it's more like yeah. speed walking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just sandwich to sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, it's also terrible because she doesn't just fire his ass or file a sexual harassment uh-huh. suit, but in the end, they get together. Of course they do. Why? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure. Like the final episode, she gives she has her baby, and she he's worn her down, and she like acquiesces <laughs> to his romantic interests, and they're just going to be like a happy family or some nonsense like that. And did they know it's wow. the final episode when they did that? Or yeah, I think they did. Yeah, it, it was one of those shows where like they they got to run out the string, but they knew they weren't coming back. Yeah, so, um, it it wraps up. I mean as well as this show could wrap up, mm-hmm. I guess. It, it wraps like, up whether you like what happens. Is yeah, there's no story. like cliffhanger or yeah. anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's terrible. It's It just, <laughs> it just underscores that whole like, nice guy, you owe it to me, <laughs> incel nonsense, yeah. and uh, it's just, I, I love Aaron I'm Sorkin's writing no, so much. Uh, but he does crap like this, and it's just like, you're killing me, dude. Right. There's romance and not taking no for an answer and not giving up because you love them so much. And you're like, right, and there's not. Yeah, there's not yeah. romance in that. That's no. not romantic. <laughs> when they say no, you listen, you know. Yeah, yeah. Although she doesn't even say no. She's, like, eating at the we, time. Well, yeah, he doesn't <laughs> And he like just like storms answer. out like he just like owned her or something like Yeah, he doesn't even right? give her a chance to say no. Mm-hmm. Can't say no when you're eating. Yep, exactly. I gotta <laughs> maybe that's a good strategy now. <laughs> that's a Ryan move. <laughs> yeah, they didn't he didn't wait for her to answer him. It was, he's like, You should swallow that sandwich and then he leaves. Mm-hmm. She, and she doesn't talk. And no, because he's going to chase her. She could be like, great, I love you too. And he'd be like, no, 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 no. We need to do this thing where I chase yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, no, the chase <laughs> is the hot part. Yeah. Wow. And then he goes to talk to Matt Perry, and they don't even ask what she said either. Yeah. No one gives a well, shit. Who cares what she said? He told yeah. her what's what, and that's uh, <laughs> they're both happy about that. Yeah, he told her how he feels, and that's the most important thing. How he feels. <laughs> so many men feelings. Uh, yeah, okay. so then uh, standing ovation, everyone's happy about the musicians, and we get a title card in the credits that directs viewers to a foundation's website that will provide more information about New Orleans music. <laughs> yeah, for those two scenes that we were told. For those, yeah, <laughs> for those two scenes where we cared about musicians from New Orleans. <laughs> like I liked it because it was like the California raisins, right? Yeah, yeah. you're right. It was kind of California raisin. I mean, the, yeah, the I mean the the little jazzy rendition of Old Holy Night" that they played was was legit good. Right, definitely. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. I got no complaints there. Yes, Merry Christmas in August. Uh, so, yeah. Maybe the To Catch a Predator scene was more of a reflection on, like, Matt and Danny than anything else. That was a payoff for them. Like, there was just, they haven't realized that the writer room is just constantly writing about them. But Yeah, the writers are, are like, they keep pitching these in there to try to. Yeah, hoping it'll break through and they'll see something of themselves reflected <laughs> in it. And, uh, yeah, never works. Yeah. So, any other any other final thoughts? Um, in, it was um maybe the most well regarded show we've done for this one season wonders, but it also was maybe the biggest slog to get through. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think if this or Cop Rock was. Oh, right. Cop Rock was a Cop Rock was slide. tough to get through. Yeah. It was yeah th- very humorless least... as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Scorch had so much humor. Yeah. <laughs> well, Everyone Scorch, loved it. Scorch, Scorch in the had pits. the advantage of only being 20 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Scorch in the pits had the advantage of being 30 minute sitcoms. So there's significantly less content to sit through there. Mm hmm. Um, Did you guys know that recent mentions of Scorch have quadrupled since the show existed ever? <laughs> and to be fair, because like because they're sitcoms, they they, they at least weren't self-important like cop rock right. were. Like yeah, that serious part's about really themselves. Hard. Yeah, that part's really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I don't have anything more to say. This was like I said. I've seen most of this series before and it's worse than I remember. I'll put it that way when I watched it. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting a, much, but I thought I'd find more of it interest, at least something to yeah. say good about. <laughs> something to say something good about. I don't know. My like sentences I, aren't working. Yeah, I remembered that this show wasn't great, that it didn't live mm-hmm. up to its potential, and that it had some really, really troubling relationship stuff particularly with like the two main characters and their romantic interests and whatnot but i just yeah i don't remember it being quite this bad and i'm mildly curious if that's if this was just like a dud of an episode in an otherwise not great but not terrible show or if i'm just not remembering just how bad the vast majority of the episodes were right I'd like to think at least I, I remember other episodes having a little bit more verve than this, and I'd <laughs> like to think that's still true, but who knows? Matthew Perry and the other guy seem like the same guy, just like 20 years in the future. Yeah, well, again, because they're both basically just like Sorkin writing himself into his show, and he just like splits it into two characters. and Right. Yeah. Matthew Perry was also involved in another one season wonder, which was actually good though. And that was like uh, the next one. Which one was that? Because he's been in several one season yeah, go wonders. Go on. <laughs> yeah, go on was pretty good. Hmm. Unfamiliar. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not alone in that, but it's <laughs> no, no. But Go On was pretty good. That's another one of those shows that has like a uh pretty much like everybody that it was in his support group has gone on to some relatively notable thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Sunshine was his other one hit wonder that he did after this. Yeah, I don't think I watched um, that. That one was not as good as Go On, but uh, yeah. Then he was in The Odd Couple, but wasn't that like two seasons or something? Yeah, that's right. He was in that Odd Couple reboot. Yeah, that ran far, far longer than it had any business <laughs> running. What? I think I saw like two episodes of it and I was like, yeah, I'm out of it. Yeah, like, who was I, the other guy in that? Yeah, who was the other guy yeah. in that one? Was Perry clean or dirty? He was dirty. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I genuinely genu- generally like Matthew <laughs> Perry and will will show up for him in when he does these shows. But, uh, uh, yeah, the odd couple really just... Uh, <laughs> he, he got the one out of me, and that's literally all I showed up for. <laughs> oh, it was uh, Thomas Lennon. Hmm. Was the other one the from Reno nine one one? That's and, right, and the state. Yeah, and the state. All right, yeah, I'll forget about that again now. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah. So, uh, Carolyn, where yeah. can we find you on the internet? Let's see. You can find me uh, a lot of places when I'm not just eating food. I also go online. Whoa. Wow. You can only eat food when you're pregnant, Karen. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can find me. Let's see. Uh, I'm Carolyn Mainty, A-R-O-L-Y-N-M-A-I-N, like the street. I have a Twitter. I am on Facebook. I have a card game called Pitch Please. You can check out at www.pitchplease.fun. And there's a podcast of that on Cranny Ball Studios. David, how about you? Mm-hmm. You can find me pitching to catch a predator skits on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Timely. Pitching them or getting caught up in them? Uh, <laughs> at Dr. Vitz, at Dr. Spell, <laughs> you can find me at therealgentlemanofledger.com. Uh, as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Austin Gorton, uh, where you can let me know your favorite or least favorite Sorkinisms, yes. and you can read my writing at therealgentlemanofleisure.com as well. Uh, as for our show, we are a very special episode. You can follow us on Twitter at AVSEpod. Our website is a very special episode podcast.com from which you can download all of our episodes, which are also available via iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and Stitcher. And uh, check out our Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com slash AVSE pod. Uh, with that, for a very special episode, I am Austin Gorton, and I am reminding you that if you want to run, you'd better get a head start, because I'm coming for you. Oh, no. <laughs> that was a very special episode. We dissected that shit from head to toe. Did the time fly by, or was it slow? Got so many life lessons. Oh, how we've grown. Seen so much TV that we're gonna explode next time on a very special episode. So, so.